Welcome to Startups and a Forbes podcast that enlightens you on Africa's startup ecosystem. And wow, what a guest we have today. It is the founder of Norskin, Nohin. He's going to teach us all the right pronunciations. None other than Niklas Adalbert. Uh, Niklas, thank you for making the time. Thank you so much. Wow, what a fascinating journey. Just from a lunch and lunch session with you that has been uh, quite interesting. And I was intrigued by quite some of the concepts from the young people and founders that you were speaking of, but they're also very passionate, please. And before anything, who is Niklas? Mm, good question. So I'm um, born and raised in a town called Uppsala uh, in Sweden. And uh, I have a great brother and a younger sister. Uh, and uh, both my father and my brother was very extrovert. And I had a struggle in trying to find my own identity and who I was and to be seen, I guess. And I remember my father always told me uh, that, Niklas, you can do whatever you want in life as long as you become a doctor. So a doctor like him, right? So I was always had this like performance-based self-consciousness. So if I perform, uh, then I get extra attention and feel loved and so on. So that's have been like my recipe for trying to be accepted or finding who I am. What I really find resonating with that is personally, we tend to find as human beings, our success tied to things or tied to goals, tied to aims. That is in a way of us finding our identity or having something meaningful, purposeful in society. And we're taught this from a very young age, subconsciously and consciously. Do you feel like this had a major impact? No, quite a lot, I think. Uh, so I, I really wanted to uh, be seen and stand out, I guess. And uh, uh, due to an event, a failure that happened very early in my life when I was 13. I got a taste for money and I wanted to be rich. And this event was I was standing outside the local supermarket in uh, in Uppsala, my hometown, and uh, out from the supermarket come a friend that's also 13 years old at that time. Uh, and he was coming with this cage of beer. Uh, and in Sweden you need to be 18 years old to buy beer. And uh, he was able to buy this beer by a producing a fake ID and uh, me and my friend looked at this fake ID and it looked really bad uh, and we us being computer geeks and playing around in Photoshop for quite some time we realized that we can do that so much better so we went home started experiment and uh, uh, got a quite good product that we tried to use and it worked very well we were able to buy cigarettes and beer back in Sweden being just 13 I probably looked like 10 uh, so was quite good product I guess uh, we started to, um, friends got interested, so we produced to them as well. And uh, we reached out to people on the internet to talk to marketing ourselves. And this continued to grow and sort of grow out of our hands. And uh, the interest was just enormous. But this lasted for one and a half year. And then the police came and knocked on our doors and 32 people got prosecuted. And uh, me and my friend were the ones who were leaders of this forgery gang. So it was a big learning. Uh, right there. Um... Tell me to an observation. I've had this conversation uh, with a few people on the pod already. And it's around pushing the boundaries in order to be innovative, in order to be able to create something new. You have to be willing to take the risk because, yes, you were jailed or you were taken in uh, at the age of about, you know what, 13. Mm -hmm. You had an environment that allowed you, it wasn't the right thing to do, but you pushed the boundaries to say, okay, let me try and make money of this. You were innovative about it and it didn't punish you 
eventually in life. Why is that important? Uh, so uh, it was important to me because, first of all, I learned uh, a little bit about entrepreneurship and that was really fun. Uh, it was important. I, I was, for a 13-year-old, I was probably the one with the most cash on hand. Uh, and that felt great, buying stuff and mainly candy. But also very important learning that uh, I know it was never worth to be on the wrong side of the law. Uh, in the end, when I started to realize when I turned 14 and even 15, I realized that, hey, this is not a sustainable business. It's actually a criminal business. That feeling was creating a lot of nervousness. So every time the phone rang or someone come knocking on the door, I thought maybe it was the police and so on. So great, great learnings. Um, a good lesson, for sure. How did your parents take that? Um, that was the thing I was most scared about when I got... Uh, <laughs> caught uh, but it took it quite well i think they realized i was very young and basically didn't understand what i was doing and that's how society regarded this as well the court that uh, even though it was a serious crime i all got away with a fine a big fine that i then had to work on burger king for many years to pay off but as to you know that the reason for failure and failure early on for it came early on in your life for many startups and startup founders Failure happens early on as well um, uh, in the early stages of the startup. Or even the, we've seen startups have billion-dollar valuation come to crumble after a few years because of the lack of failure early on or learning from other people's failure. Why is it important to learn from other people's failure or not be arrogant to learn from your own failure? No, I think that you can only be, have luck that long and for those number of events or tasks, but eventually it will catch up and you will fail. I mean, everything I've done in life has been like two steps forward, one step back, and even two steps forward, 20 steps back. Yeah. And it's all about that. Do you learn from that or do you give up? I've been lucky to have co-founders when starting Tiana and so on, and we've been able to continue to pursue whatever we were doing. So learning is everything. Talking about billion-dollar valuation as a company, you were able to raise lots of money early on. Why don't you take us through the journey, how you met your co-founders, why it is important to have co-founders and hard work. So once again, great learning from that experience. I uh, started to work at Burger King, and that's when I really got to know my co-founder, Sebastian. He was working there as well. We went to the same class together. And I realized that I don't want to be a doctor. I want to be financially independent instead. Uh, so I did decide to pursue <laughs> hey, so it. Talk to the road financially independent. And not in Sweden. It was a socialist country back then, at least. So, uh, yeah, I think I was more greedy than that. Uh, so I wanted to pursue business instead. So I discovered that the Skokka School of Business um, of Economics. And uh, luckily, Sebastian, uh, he was a couple of years ahead of me. Uh, taking a sabbatical and started to work for a debt collection company selling his debt collection services. And uh, in that role as a salesperson, he got in contact with a bunch of different B2B customers, right? And uh, one segment was e-commerce companies. And in Sweden back then, this was 2003, people didn't want to use their credit cards online. They were scared of, uh, of fraud. Uh, so they really preferred to order online and then pay after delivery. There was no e-commerce companies that wanted to do that because it was too high risk involved in that transaction. I mean, how would you know that the customer would pay in the end? And that's what when they came up with this idea behind Klarna to be an intermediary, taking over that risk in the transaction and by that providing very smooth payment option. 
And uh, he quit that company, started to study again his master's thesis, master's program in structural economics and started to talk about this idea. And uh, me and another friend called Victor uh, got really excited and said that, hey, let's give it six months and see what happens. But no money, no experience from fintech whatsoever. Uh, had no clue about how to program a fintech system. I mean, do you buy it online or how does it work? Uh, and we, we got the advice that first you need to find money, guys. Uh, so we did. Uh, went out. We uh, Back then, it's 2005 now. Uh, it was like no concept of business angels or even venture capitalist funds. It was none of that. So we looked in the biggest business newspaper in Sweden. We tried to find uh, names of rich persons. And then we looked in the phone uh, catalog and tried to find the numbers and tried to contact them in different ways. And we got probably 25 no's. We're not interested. And uh, after every no, we updated the pitch to make it a little bit better. And it became quite good in the end after like 25 failures, right? And, and eventually, it was a lady called Jane Valerud that decided to invest um, $60,000 for 10% of the company. And she also had uh, uh, developers that for uh, 37% of the company developed the initial tech platform. So before we even started the company, we were down to uh, only having the uh, 53% left of the company. But we realized that if we're going to be successful with this, this big idea, and given that we don't have any experience and money, uh, we need to be generous with the shares and have other people involved to be successful. That learning, because uh, when you're so many startups, or I've spoken to a few founders as well, but we, we miss the concept because we like to hold on to things, right? That inability to realize 1% of a billion is better than 100% of nothing. How do you embrace that? How do you build that mindset? It's a very good question. I think our first mindset was really that, hey, we should own everything and do everything. But since we didn't have any knowledge of programming, I mean, we had to take in that competence. So it was like no other choice. If we would have started a more like a simpler business idea, then maybe we would not have this mindset. So it was like by trying out this pitch and get the feedback that, hey, you guys cannot enable this. You need to have uh, be a tech team to enable this. That's why we adjusted and yeah, change the pitch in, into this instead. Uh, from what I prepare is the ability to evolve and evolve. And so did you evolve. I'm uh, talking to you sometime about, you know, the trip to Las Vegas. Um, you, the planner became this huge billion dollar valuation company. You are quite young. You lived the dream. And then it hit you. Mm-hmm. that you know what? This is not the dream. What was that eureka moment? Yes, I, I was able to sell off. My first secondary shares, uh, this was seven years into Klarna, and I had this, as I was talking about, this dream constantly to be financially independent, that if I just reached that goal, I would reach Nirvana, and I would be the happiest guy alive. And during this time with Klarna, we worked like crazy, uh, 80 hours per week, and I lost touch with a bunch of uh, friends, and my girlfriend broke Did up you say with 80? me. 80 hours per week. 80 hours per yeah. week. That's how it looked like. And this is like natural when it comes to sports. Uh, if you're going to be Champions League, you need to practice a lot. I think the same kind of things apply to startups as well. You need to sort of compensate your lack of experience by adding more hours because you will fail and you need those hours to compensate. So, um, yeah, so I had this um, uh, big dream. I was realizing it. I had uh, uh, $10 million on my bank account from being into debt to then being financially independent. I decided to go to Las Vegas uh, on a 
on the way to a conference in San Francisco. Uh, it was short notice. No one could join me. So I went up there three days by myself, went by business class for the first time, uh, checked into this big panorama suite with marbles and gold and everything, right? Went up to shop like crazy, drinking expensive wine I couldn't pronounce and shopped like Gucci product. Can you pronounce it now? No, boy. <laughs> <laughs> and then back again in the hotel room, I just realized that, hey, I feel no difference whatsoever in my happiness or fulfillment. It's quite the opposite. It's like I had so much hope for this day, and now it just turns out that this is just a myth, that uh, more money, more happiness. I mean, it is true to a certain point, about $5,000 per month, but then it's just a totally diminishing return curve of happiness. So I crashed in that hotel room and realized that, hey, I need to find something that is, feels more meaningful. Because it turns out the happiness research, a lot of this pointing to a, a happy life is a meaningful life. And to me, to chase the next billion dollar valuation was just empty. And, and I also started to reflect uh, back then, Klarna was not as a uh, net positive company as today. It was like worse terms for consumers when they go into installment payments and had a quite high interest rates and so on. And I also started to question, yeah, the company I created, was that really net positive to the world or maybe even net negative? I mean, increasing consumption in Sweden and in Europe, where you need like four planets to sustain that consumption level. And I was really part of pushing that even further by offering installment payments and pay after delivery so to enable purchases that the customer cannot afford today and maybe not in 12 months either when they're going to pay up. So it's like, oh, I, I really want to feel I'm part of the solution. <laughs> and not. So that was a big experience as well. And that's the reason why I decided to quit Klarna after 11 years and instead to try to pursue impact entrepreneurship. So now this is now what I do 100% of my time and with my wealth. No skin, no haven, the northern light. First of all, why Rwanda and where did this idea come from to set it up about six years ago uh, back home in Stockholm? Yeah, I guess it comes from like, I'm a total believer in role models. If it wasn't because of uh, Skype that got sold in Sweden for $2 billion, uh, we would never realize that you can build such a sizable unicorn out of the small country of Sweden with 10 million inhabitants. You see the same thing in sports. When you have like a great soccer player, you know that in 20 years later, you will have like next generation pursuing that. That would be fantastic. And I saw then uh, me being celebrated for what I did with Klarna. And I saw other entrepreneurs like in Sweden, um, uh, everything from gambling entrepreneurs, creating online casinos <laughs> in an efficient way to like uh, gaming entrepreneurs, creating addictive computer games in your phone. And they were all celebrated because of that they created huge valuation companies, not taking any consideration whatsoever if this company was actually net positive or net negative uh, to people and planet with their products. It was like, I have two simple models here to determine success in the world. We need to, to like take it one step further down to see what is the outcome of this, this business. Um, and that's why I decided, like, hey, we need new role models in society. Uh, we call them impact entrepreneurs, so people that with their business model are actually solving a societal issue or planetarian issue, such as Northvolt creating the world's greenest batteries to enable the electrification, or Einride creating a, the Tesla of trucks, um, and uh, or Aerospace creating a 90 or 30 people passenger electric airplane. So innovations like that 
they, those entrepreneurs should be the role models of society that people want to mimic and do the same of. And then to answer your question, um, so that we do and have as a strategy sort of in, in Europe and in the Western world. And when it comes to Africa, that we are probably spending most time and, and uh, donations and investments into, I consider, we consider that all kind of entrepreneurship in, in Africa is impact entrepreneurship. Because really what I think that the continent needs is economic growth, sustainable economic growth. I think that's the best way of, uh, in a sustainable way, elevate poverty and uh, enable a higher tax base and create more jobs and so on. So that's really uh, our uh, mission here yeah, to well, enable you, this. You know, right there, because there's a belief that capitalism and impact can't see and over it. Over time, people have come out with a counter-argument. And, you know, lately, I would say within three to the last four years, and that counter-argument is largely that you can have impactful capitalism. Do you believe in that concept? Yeah, I, I think it's a very good question, and I'm struggling with this specific point <laughs> uh, the last couple of years as well. I mean, it's quite clear. I think you see evidence of that everywhere, that you cannot have, like, infinite growth on a finite planet. You see that uh, uh, innovations and technology have been really good at solving a specific problem or a specific KPI, but many times generating a much worse problem doing that. I don't know, classical examples, I guess, is like everything from like social media. Yeah, great. In solving a problem of connecting me with friends that I forgot I had, what do they do? If you look at the greater picture, they're creating polarization. Uh, they're um, really hijacking our limbic brain and uh, creating fear and creating um, uh, really stealing your attention so you cannot take in complex information. I mean, you start to see really the negative aspects of a lot of these celebrated innovations. So I think that we need a new model in how to look at, at this and what is really good for the planet long term. And when it comes to impact entrepreneurship, I think that to me at least, worst case, it buys us more time to really come up with a super long-term uh, solutions. So I think it's the right way, but we need to be very cautious that we're not creating even bigger problems with the solutions that we're backing and promoting. North Skin East Africa is just over a year old, going into its second anniversary later on. What does success to you of North Skin look like? I think that if we can sort of, in one way or another, help out by enabling the next role models and that being successful entrepreneurs coming out of Rwanda and coming out of the continent so that people, students see what is possible. Just as what uh, the Skype founder did for us at Klarna, I think that would be a success. So that you as a startup, you have the exact same or even better uh, possibilities of succeeding based on your company here. People have looked at expansions of our no skin. Uh, is there a possibility of that happening anytime soon, any part of the continent within the opening of the Barcelona house? Do we see opening of a house somewhere in Senegal, Cote d'Ivoire, Togo? Yeah, good question. Uh, we hope so. Uh, so far, I donated about half of my wealth into this foundation, Norskin. Uh, we're sort of uh, placed our bets now or our initiatives. Uh, so we need to find a way to scale this even better. So we are looking for partners that want to enable this in not three geographies as we are right now, but maybe in 23 geographies. Mm -hmm. So 
I would love us to expand and build these uh, centers for entrepreneurship in other spots around the world and uh, Africa, certainly on, on the short-term roadmap on that. You talked about the Champions League and you got me a little bit excited. Uh, so when you come to think about, uh, you know, great players that came out of Sweden, like Zlatan and Henrik Larsson. Uh, Stefan uh, Effenberg? No, that was Norway. Yeah. Stefan Effenberg is Swedish, yeah. Sweden? <laughs> yeah. He was Stephen Swedish, yeah. The Stephen. tennis player, you mean? Or Oh, the tennis player, he's Swedish. Yes. Um, what did you do in your free time? Uh, I spend most of that on my family. I have two younger kids. Uh, my uh, fiance is an entrepreneur as well, so we also spend some time working. It's not the eight hours per week, it's rather 30 hours per week. With 35, so it's much more sustainable now, I think. Apart from that, what do I do? I mean, I'm very addictive to computer games. So I probably spent my 10,000 hours plus on uh, Warcraft 2. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was quite good back then. Uh, it was not that big of competition. Uh, I'll hold that... you to, to a game next time you're in. Oh, very good. Yeah. Very good. I think they have a chance. <laughs> <laughs> so I have like a, I have a ban on myself since starting Klarna to not install a computer game because then I will be lost. So I, I look forward to that day when I install the next uh, I don't know what the next Warcraft 2 is uh, I haven't played in quite a, I'll say uh, three years but I, I used to be a decent uh, player computer games I used to be decent I can think hold my own so no climbing mountains no skiing no nothing basically no I'm really boring when it comes to hobbies I think Norskin is my biggest hobby I think it's so much fun what I'm doing now so I really found my purpose to do like to support this kind of startups is just so much fun. If you'd share one thing to a founder listening to us right now, what is that one thing you would ask them to do? Do I have to pick just one? <laughs> <laughs> okay, go for it. I'll expand. I'll expand. We're in skin, so I'll say two. Yeah, Maybe. exactly. I, I think first one, first one to, to try it out. Uh, you not, don't need to take it like in a, in a binary decision to quit your job or quit your studies, but maybe you can start working on your startup on weekends or at nights uh, to see if you get traction or not. If, if you do, uh, or even before that, if you can find co-founders, I think that makes it so much easier because when you do have all of these failures that you will have on a daily basis to have co-founders there to pick you up, and then share that burden makes it much better. And for me, critical. If it wasn't because of Sebastian and Victor, it would be certainly no Klarna today. Uh, it was very important. And I guess if you are lucky uh, to get traction with your business, then to uh, devote and focus totally on it at best effort, uh, disciplined hours to make it into a success. Uh, at least if you have an ambition to build a unicorn. Uh, because I don't think it's any ways around it than to spend the hours needed. Nicholas Adabats, uh, co-founder of Klarna, founder of Skin. Thank you for making the time. Thank you. You've been listening to the Startups and Efforts podcast by Norskin. And I was your host, Arnold Quizzer. And now you can follow us all on Twitter at Norskin East Africa, at Norskin Barcelona, at Norskin Foundation. We're on all social media platforms. Twitter, LinkedIn, Instagram. Please drop us any suggestions. Feel free to give us any criticism. We love that. We love transparency. Until next time. Ciao.